Hi, I'm Jerry Howard. And I'm Jim Tobin. Welcome to Housing Developments. Jim, it's good to good to see you. You've been on the road a little bit again, and so have I. Uh, what are you hearing from the builders out in the field? Housing affordability, housing affordability, housing affordability. Uh, I've been uh, East Coast, West Coast, a couple places in between, and everybody I talk to talks about housing affordability and the challenges with land prices, labor, uh, and just putting more product on the market. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing too. But the good news is I think uh, we're going to come in a little bit under a million units for the year. Uh, it hasn't been a banner year for our industry, but it hasn't been a terrible year. Uh, and I think that that's reflective in the attitudes that confronting out in the field as well. Uh, the headwinds again, like you say, labor, building material prices, uh, and then uh, overall regulations. And although uh, as we come to the end of 2019, the administration has done a a yeoman's job in trying to scale back regulations at the federal level. Uh, we haven't seen much of it at the state and local level. And in fact, places like California and New York are talking even more serious regulations, even into rent control concepts. Yeah, I, I think that's that, that continues to be our biggest challenge. I, with this administration in particular, we've seen a lot of effort to roll back regulations or even more so shine a spotlight on the role regulations play in the uh, in keeping the supply of housing down. But that needs to translate to the local level. And you can talking to our EOs, our state presidents, local presidents out there, that, that continues to be the biggest challenge. How do they get their county commissioners or their city council to understand the, the importance of rolling back some of those regulations so that they, we can continue or at least try to build an affordable unit for people across the country? And, and you know, you, you, you look at the places where this problem is the worst and you look at the progressive governments that are out there and the progressive regulations that have tried to tackle this issue and only made it worse. And, of course, I'm referring to San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York City. When are they going to realize that this is not so much a regulatory issue, it's a supply issue? It, it, it's getting to the point where I think the general public is getting very frustrated. Yeah, this is. I, I think this is the first time in my career at NAHB where I've, I've seen the average citizens start talking about housing affordability. Sure, you still have your NIMBYs out there. Uh, you know, there's this, it's a, unfortunately, a group of people who believe, that, well, I've, I've got mine. I want to make sure no one else gets theirs either. Uh, and, and it's combating that, that attitude and getting politicians to finally turn to those people and say, no, we need to make sure that we give more affordability uh, and more opportunity to our citizens. You know, you mentioned places like like California, I mean, we're seeing things go as far as actually banning natural gas in some locations where they're so worried about climate change, they're so worried about growth that they don't want to even give an all-of-the-above energy a policy. They want to convert everybody to electricity, the electrification of America, uh, in order to get more solar or more wind or water power rather than uh, natural gas, which 10 years ago, in my mind, was the, was the, the clean alternative. The, yeah, now, now all of a sudden it's, it's just as dirty as coal. Uh, no offense to our coal-producing states out there and friends. Um, it's absurd that rather than looking for ways to find opportunity for people, we continue to throw up roadblocks to housing affordability. And meanwhile, more and more uh, young Americans are having to live at home longer. Uh, more and more middle-class Americans are having to remain renters when they choose to be home buyers if they could. And more and more of our, our baby boomers who are looking to sell their homes and retire are having difficulty. This is, this is causing uh, multi-generational distress. 
Uh, and I, I actually I applaud the administration as well as the, the candidates for president who are at least talking about the issue. Now, I don't always agree with them. I thought the other day that I might agree with Elizabeth Warren because I heard her say this is a supply problem. And my thought was, oh, my God, we've convinced her. And her next sentences were, and that's because the federal government stopped building houses in the 60s and the private developers are only building big houses. And I thought we've still got some work to do, Jim. Yeah, we've got we've got we've got a lot of work to do. We we Bernie Sanders, for instance, a two and a half trillion dollar housing plan. Don't get me wrong; I'm all for spending as much money as we can on housing. But two and a half trillion dollars seems like a lot to hang on future generations when it comes to the debt and deficit. But he also proposes nationwide rent control. It's a bad idea in California. It's a bad idea in New York. We don't need nationwide rent control. And I'm we'll see how the the presidential politics plays out in all this. But I I think that uh, there are some there's some good plans out there. But there's equally something that we need to be very cautious about. You know, we, we, we're talking about getting our leaders to look at uh, the American cities that have had difficulty with some of their progressive policies. If Senator Sanders wants to talk about nationwide rent control, you ought to look at some of the countries that have that. Cuba, North Korea, <laughs> Russia. Uh, they all have great quality of housing out in, in those places. Yeah, yeah, they do. It's all gray. And it looks like <laughs> it looks like the HUD headquarters building, uh, if you ask me. Easy, but, uh, oh, easy, sorry. Easy, sorry. Easy, sorry. Easy, no offense there. to our friend Ben. Um you know, speaking of, of presidential politics, we've got a whole year just about before we solve the, the great challenge of uh, who's going to be the next president of the United States. But let's talk a little bit about what's happened in, in 2019. We've had a pretty good year. We've talked about how housing affordability has been elevated nationwide, not just by NHP's efforts, but by the politicians in the, in the country. We've participated in a lot of roundtables with the White House under the guise of the president's executive order on housing affordability, bringing our ideas. We've had members come into town to participate, to bring their ideas on state and local regulations, national regulations. We can, we have, we're getting ready for our submission to the, uh, to the administration on, on rules and regulations. They can roll back. Um, but there's been a lot of other good things that happened this year, even on trade, as much as we're in a trade battle with, uh, with China, USMCA, something NHB has supported. Uh, tell us a little bit about the status of those negotiations. Well, e- even as we record this, as I understand it, the president is going to be speaking to announce that, uh, they have a deal on that with the Democrats, and that they could be coming to the House floor as soon as sometime this week. That's something that I think, A, on a political level, uh, you and your team, Jim, have done a great job working with the White House to, uh, to get this to the House floor. We will be asking our listeners and uh, all of our members of NEHB to encourage their representatives to vote for the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, uh, which is really NAFTA 2.0, because we think that it will help propel the rest of the world to start sitting down with us and talking uh, so that maybe we can get an agreement with China. Recently, the president talked uh, about imposing tariffs on French imports. Uh, we need to get through these trade wars to get the economy clicking at, at, a, at full scale. You know, one of, the th- one of the things that wasn't included in NAFTA is, is Canadian softwood lumber. What do you think the prospects are of a Canadian softwood lumber deal now that we've got NAFTA out of the way or potentially out of the way? Well, we've been told all along that once they got the USMCA done, that they would get to the table and, and start discussing in earnest a, a long-term uh, agreement, trade agreement between the United States and Canada on softwood lumber. And I think that's great. I think it's important. Although I got to tell you, I like the idea of increasing our domestic harvest much, much more. There's always going to be problems with us and Canada on softwood lumber. You and I have lived through this cycle like three times now. So it would be much better for us 
and much better for our forest health if we would look at modernizing our forestry practices and increasing the harvest of lumber from our national forests. Yeah. I, I, I really, I hope we don't lose that momentum when we get into sitting down with Canada. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And I know that's been an effort for us in this administration even is, is done, is done more to, to, to harvest, uh, to harvest timber off the, off the U S other, other events on regulatory, obviously flood insurance is something we pay a close attention to on, on Capitol Hill. Uh, we seem to be going through yet monthly extension after extension. It's very frustrating. We need a long-term national flood insurance program to make sure that we've got affordable flood insurance for, for those families that choose to live uh, in, in flood prone areas. But FEMA is always working behind the scenes when it comes to flood risk ratings uh, and trying to determine what the hazards are out there. We've been working, we work with FEMA very closely. They've got something called risk rating 2.0. Obviously, we're, we, we've been concerned about it. They're getting ready to roll it out next year. If, what are the latest developments on that? Well, they were going to roll it out this year. And I think the fact that they've delayed it uh, a little bit is because they need to get more stakeholder feedback. Uh, and I think that it's also something, to be real honest with you, I don't think they want to roll it out before the election because it's a very, very controversial topic and something that they'd rather wait and see. Maybe they'll get a more friendly Congress after the election. Uh, the president might be able to do something a little more freely uh, if he's reelected. So I think that's part of the reason why, but they will ultimately do it. The, the bottom line is, you know, once again, let's go turn the lights on for these guys. Since humankind has existed, humankind has lived near water. More than 50% of the Earth's population lives in what would be considered a floodplain because people not only want to live near water, they have to live near water in a lot of the world. So, you know, let's abandon this crazy notion that people all need to move inland. It's not going to happen. And what we need to do is adapt and, and make some strong national flood insurance policies that are sustainable and that will help promote affordability and flood protection and protect the taxpayer uh, as we move forward. And it can be done. There are plenty of proposals up there on the Hill. There are a lot of them in the agencies. That if people will just put aside their partisanship and, and, and lose these crazy notions, uh, that we can get this done. And, and I'm hopeful that next year will be the year. Yeah, it'd be good to get this one uh, get this one behind us. I think it's just about, it's about certainty, right? We talk to our members all the time. And and certainty and, and being able to look forward three or four or five years and plan their business models around a regulatory environment that is static and not as dynamic as we've seen. I think that's great news for the, the industry moving forward to get to get to that building to market up at one and a half or 1.6 million new units over the course uh, of a year. And speaking of certainty, uh, one of the disappointments that I think you and I share uh, from 2019 was the failure of Congress once again to act on housing finance reform. And so the flow of capital into the housing system uh, is still at the whim of a regulator, one person. The, the, the lack of certainty there is something that bothers and has bothered our members since Fannie and Freddie went into conservatorship 10 years ago. Um, what are you hearing there on the regulatory side? And what do you think about this as, as an issue going forward in, in Congress next year? Yeah, it's, it's really frustrating. I, I think what, when, when we've been on Capitol Hill together and having conversations on, on housing finance reform, uh, we have the left and the right who won't talk to each other. Uh, we were up with our, our friend Maxine Waters, the chairwoman of the House Financial Services Committee, uh, and essentially we were told there just isn't time to do housing finance reform this year. And I know how disappointed you were uh, in that response. You're the Disappointed head of, is one way to put it. Yeah, yeah. it is. It's stunning when you have something so big 
that needs to get done when you have a regulator and a and an administration that is moving towards that way why not reach out and become a partner and actually putting the housing finance system on solid footing uh, regulatorily but as well and more importantly legislatively I think that we, what we have seen in our conversations with Director Calabria in, in our interaction with the White House and the Treasury Department, um, we are cautiously optimistic that they are going to do the right things uh, when it comes to housing finance reform, that they're going to move deliberately and slowly to make sure there are no large market disruptions. And I know you've had conversations with, with, with Mark Calabria very recently about this and, and how he's going to how he's going to tackle reform in absence of congressional action. Yeah, I think I think Mark is wise enough to to understand that he can't go as far as he would like philosophically because it would cause a disruption in the market, uh, and so I think he will be cautious. But that gets back to my point: the ebb and flow of capital into the housing finance system should not be the prerogative of any one person, no matter how well I like him or how well I know him. It should be the will of Congress. And for Maxine Waters' staff to look at you and me and tell us that they don't want to move too quickly on GSE reform, that the subject has to be studied. I mean, every academic in the world, every finance expert in the world, every every, trade association association (laughs) in the world has written their papers on GSE reform for the last 10 years. There's no more studying that needs to be done. The time is for action. And for them to say, we don't want to take the time I mean, what else do they have up there but time? Well, they got impeachment right now, and that seems to be, be everything that sucked the. Uh, Thank you, Jim. Yeah, I feel so much better. Yeah, now. right. Well, uh, that's the that's that's the great challenge. But let, let's let's shift off Congress for a minute. Let's talk a little bit about the administration, what they've done. Uh, we've seen we've seen some major rules that have have gotten changed uh, to the better in our mind. The EPA greenhouse gas rule uh, was changed. That's a good one for us. Uh, in so much that you know, is you know as much as they're talking about you know stationary sources and greenhouse gases. As a user of uh, the electricity grid, we're we're impacted by that and potential for for code code requirements to, uh, to to fall down on the housing industry. Waters of the U.S. Once it's something that you and I have been working on for a long, long time together. We saw the Trump administration repeal the Obama era rule, uh, and they're getting ready to propose their own rule, which I think is something we've we've been we've been working with them hand in glove for the last couple of years to see that realized soon. Well, and I I, I think that. There's a lot that's going to have to wait until next year, and some of this stuff's going to obviously have to wait until after the election. And speaking of the election, in addition to some other items that, I, that we want to get to in a second, I want to lead off what some of the new innovative things that NHB's done uh, this year by talking about uh, the, the, the series Building the Dream that we've partnered with the Hill newspaper on. And there's already been the first event was in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where our chairman, Greg Ugaldi, went out there. There were 200 policymakers and influencers in the room. It was broadcast on the Hills television channel and it's been viewed by uh, several thousand different viewers. Tell us a little bit more about this effort, Jim, and what we hope to accomplish with it. Well, this, this really has, uh, has been the brainchild of uh, Paul Lopez and the communications team and putting together a, uh, a, a series that feeds into the NHB's housing affordability mantra in 2019 and then moving into 2020, uh, a real an opportunity for us to continue to do what we've done all year and years before that, which is lead on this issue. And our partnership with The Hill is going to provide us with the opportunity for a well-respected news organization inside the Beltway to take that message outside the Beltway uh, and get local politicians, local stakeholders, 
to pay attention to the housing affordability crisis across the country, talk about the symptoms, but more importantly, talk about the solutions in those communities uh, and hopefully build upon our, our theme through the course of the year. It's been a great success so far. Uh, we've got one coming up in Charlotte on February, or the week of February 16th. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Charlotte, of course, is a convention city for the Republicans this summer. And I think Charlotte's one of the, the, the biggest growing cities in the country, and they've got affordability problems down there just like everybody else. Yeah, and, and in conjunction with that effort, we just uh, recently have put together a plan where we'll be having professional pollsters have focus groups of different individuals in, in different cities, including Charlotte and including in Minneapolis, where we will sit down, we'll talk to extreme left-thinking voters, extreme right-thinking voters, and those that are slightly left of center and those that are slightly right of center, and test our different messages on affordability. Test the different ways to influence those people to be in our corner. Uh, that's something that I think is going to be really important, and it'll help us refine the talking points as we get closer to the election so that we can help the federal candidates who are housers uh, to hit the nail right on the head, to use an industry term. But we will also be able to get these talking points and these very various messaging strategies into the hands of our state and local associations to help them with their elections. So this is a very exciting a year coming up in 2020 as the election gets nearer and NHB trying out things that we've never tried before. I'm very excited about this. Yeah, speaking of something we've never tried out before, this year we saw the NHB partnered with HUD on the Innovative Housing Showcase on the National Mall, a huge success not only for not only for NHB, but but for the industry and for housing in general. A, we had thousands of people over the course of four days on the National Mall in June during Home Ownership Month. Uh, great panel discussions about all of the, again, talking about the symptoms, but the solutions for housing. A great opportunity for the American public to, uh, to see what we're doing in housing and how we're trying to drive affordability. So successful, in fact, we anticipate that coming back in 2020. Once again, we'll partner with HUD for an event. It looks like it's going to be in the fall of next year on the National Mall. But a great opportunity for NHB's memberships to once again lead on the on the issue of housing affordability uh, in conjunction with with this administration. You're right. That was another great uh, concept that was maybe not developed by NHB, but I can tell you because Secretary Carson has told me that if it wasn't for NHB, they couldn't have been pulled off. That's so right. we'll be the lead partner with HUD again on that in 2020. Uh, we also this year we're very very pleased with the success of the chairman's video updates, Greg. Ugaldi would come into town about once a month and update builders on uh, any variety of topics. That, that was the first time we've tried that. was very successful. And I know that uh, Dean Mon and uh, Paul Lopez is very excited about Dean continuing this effort next year. Uh, so that's something we did. But I think, personally, the most innovative thing we came up with this year was the, the, the podcast. I mean, let's be honest. No one, this is groundbreaking in the sense that the, never before – uh, have you had two knuckleheads sit in front of two microphones in a, in a very strangely lit room for a couple hours every uh, every few weeks and, and get to have a good time chewing the fat with each other? So we've we've had a good time doing this. Uh, I want to thank the tens of you who have listened to this routinely over the over the. I'm kidding, thousands of people uh, listening to this, and I hope you tell your friends because we actually do have a lot of fun doing it every couple weeks. Yeah, we sure do, and uh, I want to thank all the listeners and uh, again echo Jim's. Uh, admonition that you please tell all your friends uh, to listen to the podcast. We love doing it. But most of all, I just want to thank all the builders out there for uh, their commitment to the industry, both as professionals, but also as NEHB members. We appreciate 
what you do. We certainly hope that you're pleased with the efforts that we here in Washington and that your state and local staffs are putting out for you guys. We wish you all the happiest of holiday seasons and a safe, prosperous, and healthy 2020. And that's our show, not only for today, but for 2019. We'll see you in 2020. 